2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Okay, beginning at verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and he said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Let's begin with prayer. God, we do pray to you today asking that you'd be with us. Lord, I ask for wisdom, for direction, that I might speak truth and carefully explain the sense of this passage to your people, that they might be encouraged. Lord, I do pray that everyone here would, would um, hear your truth, that you would speak to them through your spirit and your word. Lord, though they may be in different places, some in, in doubt, in fear, some in, um, in joy, in encouragement, um, some in confusion, some tired, some struggling to listen or pay attention. Father, I do pray that they would hear some of your truth. I know that your truth doesn't, doesn't return empty to you. It does things in this world, and we deeply need uh, your truth to have an impact on our hearts and our lives and um, our world. You've made this world, Lord, and we know that you have a plan for it, and um, we're grateful to get a glimpse of that in this text today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine with me what things were like in Israel at the beginning of this text. Their king, Saul, and his three oldest sons, they're all dead. Their enemies, the Philistines, have taken over large sections of the northern part of Israel. Uh, refugees flee from Towns they've burned or taken as their own. Raiding parties sweep through the lands with no one to stop them. Even their last king, Saul, hadn't been exactly what they were hoping for. He'd, he started out well, but then it sort of seemed like he began to lose his sanity. He, everyone had heard the, the rumors about his dark moods and his habit of throwing spears at people. And then there was that poor town of Nob he'd wiped out. It was kind of hushed up, but everybody knew what had happened there. And, and what had he been doing chasing around his best general, David, around the country while the Philistines were attacking the border towns and were building up their strength? 
Where's a faithful king when you need one? And does a leader like that even exist? I think we also know what it's like to yearn for good, faithful leaders. I mentioned the recent moral failures of Rabbi Zacharias last week, and at least one of you after the service uh, reminded me of the many other high-profile evangelical leaders like Bill Hybels, James McDonald, Tully and Chavigian, guys who have fallen in recent years. And if we were to expand our view to include secular and political leaders in our country or even our world, surely we could all feel a great need for faithful leadership. Many of you may be aware, this past week, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the so-called Equality Act, which seeks to legally redefine what it means to be male and female in terms of an individual's self-definition, rather than in terms of what is actually biologically true about them. Among other things, this this bill fails spectacularly to protect our children, it will mandate that anyone who claims to be female be given access to women's locker rooms, women's restrooms. You'll want to familiarize yourself with this bill and be praying that it doesn't pass the Senate. Uh, one article I read noted that it repre- represents the most invasive threat to religious liberty ever proposed in America. And based on what I've read, that, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I don't think that's alarmist. Now, I bring this specific issue up uh, partly to make sure you guys are informed about it, but also to illustrate how desperately we need good, faithful leaders, people who are more afraid of God than man. There's a connection between our needs and the needs of the Israelites at the beginning of this text. Both of us crying out to the Lord that he would raise up righteous leaders for us. Well, there's hope in this text. Just like there was hope for God's people all those years ago, we see in David the portrait of a faithful king. David will not be perfect, as our leaders will not be perfect, yet he does show us what to look like, or what we should look for in good leaders. And, and further, as a picture of Jesus Christ, he glorifies our Savior. And that's something we always need to be reminded of. We always need to be reminded of the faithfulness of our King, Jesus. So what does a faithful king look like? First, a faithful king seeks and obeys God's will. That's my first point. A faithful king seeks and obeys God's will. Uh, This point is super clear right there in verse 1. Saul is dead, David has mourned him, and the first thing he does is ask God what he should do. Whenever I see someone ask God before they do something in the Bible, it's like I breathe this sigh of relief. Okay, everything's going to be okay. They asked God what to do before they did it. Uh, There's this great story about a king later on in Judah named Jehoshaphat who, you know, he seems like a pretty faithful king, seems like a pretty good kid, which there's not a lot of those. So when you come to him, you're like, oh, finally, a a king that looks like he's paying attention to what God says. But uh, then 
Jehoshaphat becomes friends with this uh, King Ahab of Israel. Maybe you know of King Ahab. You know that, that name, that's not so good. And so Ahab says, uh, you know, hey buddy, why don't you bring your army and I'll bring mine and we'll go attack some people. And Jehoshaphat says, okay, sure. And you're getting all worried inside like, oh no, Jehoshaphat, what are you doing, man? This is not a good guy to be hanging out with. Uh, but, but then Jehoshaphat uh, says to Ahab, uh, well, you know, maybe, maybe we should ask God first before we do this. Do, do you have any prophets around that we could ask him, them about uh, this? And you're like, well, good job, Jehoshaphat. That's right, right direction. And Ahab says, oh, sure. I, you know, I got lots of those guys. Let me bring out my guys. So he rolls out all his fake prophets and they come out and they do their whole song and dance. One of them even puts on a costume and, you know, some iron horns and tromps around talking about how they're going to gore their enemies and, you know, of course they're going to win. And uh, you're thinking, no, 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 these are not, these are not real prophets, Jehoshaphat. And sure enough, he, said, he, he, he prompts Ahab again, look, you got any other guys around here like prophets of like the Lord, maybe? And, uh, and Ahab responds, well, there is this one guy, but, you know, I hate that guy because he only ever says bad things are going to happen to me. And you're thinking, yeah, that, that's probably the real prophet at that point. <laughs> and so this guy finally shows up, the real prophet, and he says, yeah, you guys should go fight. And, and Ahab is like, well, where's the bad news? And he says, oh, that's right, you're going to die, though, <laughs> Ahab. So they go fight, Ahab dies, Jehoshaphat goes home, and you, you breathe a sigh of relief. God has removed this bad friend from Jehoshaphat's uh, life. But I tell this story because it illustrates what Jehoshaphat would not let go of. You know, he, 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 he had a bad friend, but at least he did not let go of this, this fact that there is safety in asking God first. You breathe a sigh of relief when someone does that. It is never wrong to seek the will of the Lord. It's always the right choice. Now, we've seen in David's life already that sometimes he does better at this than other times. I think Jonathan may have noted maybe a couple weeks ago uh, that when David first joins with the Philistines, there's this absence of him seeking the Lord. We don't see it showing up in the text as if it's showing his distance from the Lord uh, until finally he's in this really desperate place, right, where the Amalekites have burned Ziklag and taken everything. His men are talking about stoning him, and he finally seeks the Lord. I'm sure you can relate to that in times of trouble in your own life where we're happy to seek the Lord when we're really desperate, when we have a really hard decision to make, when we don't know what to do, then we go to the Lord. But David's example here is really helpful because it's not really a moment of desperation. And you have to imagine he knows exactly what he wants to do. He wants to march home and save his people. They need him. The decision seems obvious. Why waste time talking to God? But David recognizes that God is actually on the throne. And David is just his 
servant. And so first, he submits himself to hear God's will. Then, once he's listened, he obeys, right? Those are two steps. You see, listening and then obeying. And David's example here is what later generations of Israel will look at uh, to see how does a godly leader act in times of decision. And in fact, if you look down at the line of, of kings of Judah and Israel who followed after David, it will be immediately clear to you that those kings who followed his example, like Jehoshaphat, and first asked God, how should I live? What should I do? And then obeyed what he said. Those are the kings who were good at their jobs. They actually cared for God's people well. Because the core of their identity was not I'm in charge, but God is in charge. Submission to God's will is not the mark of weak people. It's the mark of a leader. Kids, this is something that is so important for you to understand about obedience. When you obey your parents, you are obeying God who set them over you. So you aren't losing. You aren't being weak. You're winning. Obedience to God is what the heroes of the Bible were good at. When you obey, you're being like David. You're being like Abraham, like Ruth, like Esther. You're being like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. None of those people were perfect at obeying. Neither are you. But they were heroes because they really tried to listen and obey the voice of God. Of course, the ultimate example of submission to God's will is found in Jesus. And so David's example here also shows us our Savior, and, and who we should go to when we need help obeying God's will. Because sometimes it's hard, uh, it's very hard to, to hear what God has to say. The things he calls us to do, they're not always easy or fun. They're not always what we want to do. Like in this case with David, this is what he wanted to do, but that's not always how it happens. Jesus submitted to God's will even to the point of death. Praying in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. And teaching his people to pray to God like we just did a few minutes ago. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, one last thing about this point before we move on. David inquired of the Lord. We don't know exactly what that means. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe David spoke with a prophet. Uh, maybe Abiathar, the priest, consulted the ephod. That was a way of communicating with the Lord in ancient Israel that they had, that David had used in the past. Uh, maybe David just prayed to the Lord. Uh, however he did it, you may be saying, how do I inquire of the Lord? God probably hasn't given you directions as specific as he gives David here, but then again, of course, you're not David, and we're not in the same place in God's redemptive plan as David was. Yet, God has given you phenomenal resources for understanding his will. Resources David never had, in fact. The Bible, right, first and foremost, it tells you all you need to know about God and how he calls you to live. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, it, it teaches that Scripture includes everything we need to be equipped for every good work. We call that the sufficiency of Scripture. And then we read the Bible in combination with prayer and with the community of God's people, including the leaders he has appointed over that community and the confessions and the catechisms in our tradition that, that they have agreed are a faithful summary of what the Bible teaches. These are all important in helping to understand how God's Word applies to what's going on in your life. I think it's deceptively easy to live life looking for some sort of giant billboard with a yes or no on it while not taking advantage of these incredible resources that God has given you. Okay, so secondly, a faithful king extends God's blessing. This is my second point. A faithful king extends God's blessing. This is what we see going on with David in verses 5 to 7, where he learns what the men of Jabesh-Gilead did after Saul died, and he, he sends him a letter, a message. Now, we have to understand these guys uh, from, from Jabesh-Gilead, who, who they are. They are representative of the people in Israel who would be most likely to reject David as king. This is like, uh, if you like Lord of the Rings, and you probably should if you're going to listen to my preaching, because I'm going to mention them a lot. If you like Lord of the Rings, this is sort of like the relationship between Boromir and Aragorn. Boromir is the son of the interim leader of Gondor, while Aragorn's family has been away, okay? Aragorn is part of the royal family, and he's got no interest in accepting Aragorn as the new king. To him, Aragorn's just a wanderer. He's an imposter, that's sort of how the Jabesh Gileadites might view David. They are completely loyal uh, to Saul because in the beginning of his reign he had saved them from complete destruction. And so when he's killed, you know, they heroically, they go rescue him. We saw that back in 1 Samuel 31. They rescue his body and the bodies of his sons from the Philistines. Um, to make things worse... They, they would have hated the Philistines. The Philistines had overrun the towns of northern Israel. Uh, maybe they were even under Philistine rule at this point. We don't know exactly how things fell out after that big battle where Saul died. So they, they may have been under Philistine rule. Um, but remember that David, for the past couple of years, had been working for the Philistines. And, you know, nobody knew exactly what his relationship was with them at this point. It would have been ambiguous to them. So, <laughs> these guys were not exactly David's pals. They're kind of the farthest you could get from the Israelites who would accept David as king. His letter must have been a shock to them. He prays that the Lord would bless them for what they've done. Now, we've been getting to know David, so maybe this doesn't surprise you that much. You have a feel for his character at this point. Maybe it doesn't surprise you, but this is the opposite of what, have, what would have been expected. Uh, you can just look at the example of the Amalekite to see this, right? The Amalekite, what did he expect when he came to David? He expected for killing Saul, he would be blessed, right? But what happened? He was cursed by David. On the other hand, the Jabesh Gileadites 
probably would have expected curses from David. But that's not what they get. Instead, they receive blessings from David. But it gets even more surprising. David says, and I will be good to you. I will be good to you. That's uh, the second half of verse 6, if you're looking at the text. But listen, in Hebrew, there's a demonstrative pronoun before good. Okay, that means this. This good. And the I there, the, the first person pronoun, is emphatic. Okay, so a more literal translation, and this will help us, might be, and I myself will do this good to you. Right? This good is the good that he has just prayed God would bless them with. Okay, you see, David is saying, I will be the blessing of God to you. His steadfast love and his faithfulness will be shown to you through me. It's pretty gutsy, right? David says, I'll be the answer to my own prayer. And then he goes on in verse 7 to suggest that, in a very gentle way, uh, he suggests that because Saul is dead, now they should serve him, right? Let your hands be, be mighty. He calls for their allegiance now that he is king of Judah. This is one of the clearest pictures of Christ in the person of David that we've seen. Jesus reaches out to those who view themselves as his enemies, and he says, may the Lord's blessing rest upon you. And guess what? The blessing of God is fulfilled to you in me. You will receive the steadfast love and faithfulness of God through my service to you. Therefore, follow me. Claim me as your king, for the reign of sin over you is dead. The old man is dead, and in its place, I am your king. This is how a faithful king acts. David is setting the precedent here for his greater son, Jesus who will fulfill this blessing in a global fashion. And this message of blessing is the message that the faithful king entrusts to his people. This is a message for people who think they are his enemies. This is a message for people who think they are far away from him, who have been loyal to the other side. It's winsome but bold. That's what we see David doing here. In this message. It offers grace, but it demands allegiance. There's this story about a lady converted by the preaching of George Whitfield, uh, where she says, after she's, been, she's, she's become a Christian, she says, Mr. Whitfield was so cheerful, it tempted me to become a Christian. It tempted me to become a Christian. That, that's, I think, the sort of attitude we, we see. In David here, we want to tempt people with the goodness of what Jesus offers. As ambassadors of the king, we are called to faithfully extend his blessing. He is the blessing. Finally and thirdly, we, we can see in this text that a faithful king is the fulfillment of God's promises. So this is my third point 
A faithful king is the fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, Remember, the people of Israel, they are desperate for a good king at this point. The, The final line of the book of Judges, which comes before Samuel and the reign of Saul, and then, of course, the reign of David, the final line is, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the the stories of that book, especially towards the end, they reinforce the the desperate need for a faithful king. That's the the message that whole book is driving at. Uh, Well, they finally get Saul, but we know how that works out. So they're wondering, does a faithful king really exist? And this text marks David as a fulfillment of God's promises. Not the fulfillment, but a fulfillment. And notice a few ways this shows up in the text. Okay, first, God tells David to go to Hebron. Now, they may, maybe that doesn't mean too much to you. Uh, Hebron doesn't bring up, ring any bells necessarily, perhaps. But uh, for the typical Israelite, Hebron is packed, I mean packed with historical significance. This is the place where Abraham, where Isaac, where Jacob lived when they had lived in the promised land. In fact, they were all buried there in Hebron as well as Sarah and uh, Leah. That, that piece of land where they're all buried, that was the first land in Canaan that Abraham owned. And so there's this clear connection being drawn as God sends David to Hebron. It's not just a good place to go. It is a good place. He's got lots of support there. It makes sense. But it's not just that. God is drawing a connection there between the promises that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and David, who will be the one to fulfill the next step in God's covenantal promises to Abraham and to all his descendants and to the whole world and the blessing that would come to the nations. Right? We we, we see that even in our text. God's words that through Abraham the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's hinted at here with David claiming that he is God's blessing upon the Jabesh Gileadites, the farthest that you could get from following David while still being in the tribe of Israel. David is also a fulfillment of God's promises to Jacob. God had promised Jacob that kings would descend from him. Now, there were no kings in Israel prior to then, but God had promised that. And the land of Canaan would be given to them. Uh, David is a a, a fulfillment of God's promises to the tribe of Judah specifically in, in Genesis 49. God promised through Jacob's blessing on Judah that the scepter would not depart from Judah and the ruler's staff from between his feet. So the tribe of Judah, they've been waiting for this king. You know, we were told God, we were told we were going to get the scepter, but it was Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. That didn't work out. But finally there in verse 4, they get to anoint one of their own as king. And as we know, the scepter will not depart from their hands. And we'll come all the way down to Jesus, who will hold it forever. Uh, Even Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24 about a star coming out of Jacob, a scepter rising out of Israel, uh, and uh, who would would crush the forehead of Moab, break down the sons of of Sheth, dispossess all these enemies of Israel, that's going to be fulfilled 
in David as he defeats these enemies. And of course, for David himself, right, God had promised him that he would be king of Israel. He's been through a lot since that promise. But finally, things are starting to happen. Things are beginning to come true. He's been patient. He's been faithful. And God is keeping his promises. And the, the question of God's people, does a faithful king really exist, is being answered. But maybe you're wondering the same question as you think about our desperate need for faithful leaders in our families, in our churches, our culture, our country, in our world. Does a faithful king really exist? And there are two answers to that question. The first answer is found in leaders like David, who do fall but who repent. The second answer is found in the one leader, who is Jesus, who falls so that leaders like David can repent and be forgiven. And there is no leader who can take the place of Jesus in your life. He is the only faithful king who can fulfill all the promises of God to his people, and he will do so. On the other hand, a faithful leader's like David, are a fulfillment of God's promises to his people as well. We are to pray for them. We are to seek them out. We are to encourage them. We are to help them to succeed as far as we are able. They look like what we've seen today in David, those who seek the Lord's will, those who extend the blessing of Christ, and those who truly repent when they fail at those tasks. May God bless you with faithful leaders like that who rely on Jesus and who never take his place in your life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you give us a leader like Jesus, a, a, a king who truly fulfills all the qualifications of a faithful king, far more than David did, certainly. We thank you we can look to him, and we do pray that we would look to him first and foremost before we, we uh, drown in, in uh, worry and anxiety about the need for faithful leaders in our world. Lord, help us to look first to Christ and be encouraged and know that he is in control, that he will fulfill your promises to us of a kingdom, a nation, that we will be. Lord, a holy nation who have been sanctified through his blood. And we do pray, Lord, we do ask you as well for leaders like David who are also a fulfillment of your promises to give us leaders who are faithful to you, who seek your will, who submit to you. And Lord, who extend your blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.